0: Uh, Turn with me, if you would, to Psalm 73. And uh, we'll start reading at verse 25. Psalm 73, starting at verse 25 Whom have I in heaven but you? And beside you, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you will perish. You have destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I would like to share with you this evening on the subject of the nearness of God, which is a topic that the world does not know, does not desire to know, and regarding which, if you're preaching of the true God of Scripture and not catering to some God of one's imagination, the world will hate you for it. But as with most topics of great potential persecution, this subject is of the greatest importance for our souls. For as we've just read, those who are far from God will perish. Some of you may be familiar with a gentleman named Richard Dawkins. He is a British evolutionary atheistic biologist He's a multimillionaire, author of many books, all of which are full of intellectualized hatred toward not only the idea of God, but certainly regarding the God of the Bible. He defines God using a term he coined, the word meme, M-E-M-E, meme which he defines as a unit of cultural idea which can replicate, it can mutate, it can respond to environmental pressures. So he writes, God exists if only in the form of this meme with high survival value or infective power in the environment provided by human culture. So the idea of a God exists in an environment that humanity provides and that God is nothing more than the making of collective minds, a delusional preoccupation, nothing more than that which results in unnecessary hatred and division among people. Recently, he sponsored an atheistic campaign in Britain in which a bus drove around with the words on the side of it, there is probably no God Now stop worrying and enjoy your life. So you see, this is a very common thread here, that God to the world is the source of worry and frustration. He's the subject of unnecessary division of argument that will do nothing more than prevent you from enjoying your life. After all, these intellectuals argue or insist upon, there's no evidence for God in the world. We can have morality, we can have peace, satisfaction, all apart from him. We have no need of this idea of God, let alone nearness to him. So you see, everything is completely twisted from what we've just read. If you draw near to God, it results in frustration. If you want to enjoy your life, you need to be far from God. Forget about God. But that's not what the Word of God says. So I urge you, I beg you, to humble yourselves and to submit yourselves to the authority of the Word of God. It says that those who are far from God will perish and that the nearness of God is good. Well, let us consider tonight that not only is there certainly a God, but that he has made himself very near and that there is no more fundamentally vital subject to the importance of your own souls than the nearness of God. Even to those here tonight who may be living in sin and rebellion against God, God is, as we'll consider, near in a sense, nearer to you now than perhaps you will ever be. So we cannot delude ourselves with the idea that we can have dignity or value or comfort apart from Christ. Men that this world has praised for their independent atheistic minds have died like small children cowering in a dark room. Voltaire, despite his intellectual genius, is quoted to have cried out in his deathbed that he'd been abandoned by God and man and that he knew that he was on his way to hell. Thomas Paine, who is one of America's founding fathers, author of Common Sense, is quoted to have cried out again at the time of death, O God, what have I done to suffer so much? But there is no God. But if there should be, what will become of me hereafter? Stay with me. Send even a child to stay with me. If ever the devil had an agent, I had been that one. No, there most certainly is a God, as these men saw perhaps too late. And not only is there a God, but he is not some distant impersonal force, acting randomly with heartless intention and some natural selection game. Now let us see that tonight that God is near, that he has always been near throughout history and in all three persons of the Trinity. First, let's consider that God the Father is very near. From the beginning, what do we see in Scripture? But that it was God himself who breathed the breath of life into man. That it was God himself who walked with Noah. That it was God himself who provided a ram for Abraham, so that his son Isaac was delivered from death, a type of God's provision for us in Christ as a sacrifice in our place. We see it was God himself who fought for the Israelites and delivered them, as we see in Deuteronomy chapter 3, from the king of Og, all his people, and all 60 cities of his kingdom. They were all delivered into the Israelites' hands, although these cities were fortified, Scripture tells us, with high walls, gates, and bars. It was the Lord God himself who was supernaturally fighting for the Israelites, to thrust out, to drive out their enemies. In Joshua 23, Joshua gives a nice summation of the Lord's faithfulness. And in verse 9 and 10, it says, For the Lord has driven out great and strong nations from before you. And as for you, no man has stood before you to this day. One of your men puts to flight a thousand for the Lord your God is he who fights for you just as he promised you. It was God himself who gave the Israelites food from heaven and rained down manna upon them like dust. It was God himself who led forth his own people like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. Turn with me to Psalm 78. Psalm 78, and uh, at verse 52, we see that God led forth His own people like sheep. He guided them in the wilderness like a flock. He led them safely so that they did not fear. Does this sound like an impersonal, distant, abstract God? No, He is near to His people, actively providing for them, showing Himself to them. As this psalm goes on to warn us, let us not forget the works of the Lord. Let us not be like this stubborn and rebellious generation that Scripture tells us did not prepare its heart and whose spirit was not faithful to God. Scripture tells us here that God makes himself known to his people. Psalm 48, 3, God in her palaces has made himself known as a stronghold. To which other God has it been said that he carries his people as a man carries his son? But as Brother Charles has previously shared, rather, men in this world carry about their own gods. Although it is not so with the one true God. The God of Israel himself gives strength and power to the people, Psalm 68.10. See, he gives power himself. He doesn't receive power. He doesn't require that he be chiseled or polished out of nothingness. Rather, he speaks life out of what was nothing. Oh, to you who are in Christ, you know that just as the Father was near to the Israelites in the past, so he is near to us today. Hebrews 13.5, God himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. What do we see in John 16, around verse 25, amazing words of Christ. Christ says, and I do not say to you that I will request of the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you you may deny many things but you cannot deny that god the father has made himself very near well secondly we see in scripture that god the son has made himself very near that it was god the father himself who sent the son to the world john 12:49 christ says for i did not speak on my own initiative but the father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. The Father himself sent the Savior into the world. He did not remain in heaven distant from us. He came to earth. He took upon himself humanity John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The eternal, glorious God Lord himself, emptied himself of his glory, made himself nothing, took upon himself humanity. What have we just sung most probably this last season? Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. He came and tabernacled among us. It was a literal incarnation, not some abstract metaphysical theory. Scripture tells us he partook of flesh and blood. Hebrews chapter 2. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. The Father made the Son near to us, and the Son revealed the Father to us still more. He explained to us the Father. John chapter 1, verse 18, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. John 2, verse 2, says that He... Christ manifested the glory of the Father to us. He who has seen me has seen the Father. John fourteen nine. He took upon humanity, but not simply that. He took upon a lowest form of humanity. He came as a servant, as a slave. He girded himself as a servant. He made himself of no reputation. Contrary to many artist's renderings, Scripture tells us there was absolutely nothing about his physical form that anyone should take any notice of him at all. Isaiah 53.2, He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He took on servitude. He took on suffering. He knew what it was to be lowly. He himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, Hebrews 2.18, so he's able to help us who are being tempted. You see, no more, no longer is there the excuse that God is distant, abstract, he doesn't understand. Well, he may have suffered, but he couldn't possibly enter into what I'm going through. Well, that's not the God of the Bible. So scripture says that he suffered in every way, yet without sin. He knows your frame. He himself knew what was in a man. John 2:25. He was well acquainted with our griefs, you see. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows, he carried. He gave himself as a sacrifice. He wasn't forced to do that. He wasn't coaxed, He wasn't cajoled. He didn't change his mind at the last minute. He was given that authority by the Father. Turn with me to John chapter 10. Starting at verse 17. John 10:17. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. He gave up his life for us on his own accord. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. He gave himself up for our sins that he might rescue us from this present evil age. He himself, bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. But now in Jesus Christ, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ for he himself is our peace. What more would you have? The eternal Lord of glory do than to clothe himself, than to come as a servant, than to be spat upon, and disregarded, and sacrificed. Alive in our place, what more must he do to demonstrate his love, to make himself near? Our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds, Titus 2.14. God reconciled us to himself through Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.18. He himself. Is the propitiation, the satisfaction for our sins, First John two two. No, you may tell me many things, you may deny many things, but you cannot deny that God the Son has made Himself very near. This is the promise that He Himself made to us eternal life, First John two twenty five. Well, thirdly, let us see that God the Holy Spirit, is very near, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said." John 14:26. "The Holy Spirit sent as a helper, as a teacher. Turn over to John chapter 16, if you would, starting in verse 13. John 16:13. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine, therefore I said that he takes of mine. And will disclose it to you. Do you see how freely the Son extends himself to us through the ministry of the Holy Spirit? And that just as the Son explains to us the Father, the Holy Spirit discloses to us the Son. He will come and guide us into all truth, taking of what is Christ and giving it freely to us. He intercedes for us. What more blessed point, what more comforting message could there be but that the Holy Spirit sent to us as a helper intercedes for us. Romans 8.26, in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He intercedes. He also sanctifies. Second Thessalonians 2.13 But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. Also, he is near to us as one that convicts, and he... John 16 tells us when he comes will convict the world regarding sin and righteousness and judgment. Well, this is just an introduction on how God has made himself near in all three persons. But also let us see that not only is God near to us, but that the word itself is very near. Can you flip over to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30. And the context here is, of course, the Israelites are in captivity, and the Lord is pleading before them that if only they would obey him with all of their hearts, with all of their souls, according to what's been commanded them. That the Lord, in verse 6, tells us, The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul so that you may live. The Lord your God will inflict all these curses on your enemies and on those who hate you, who persecuted you. And you shall again obey the Lord and observe all his commandments, which I command you today then the Lord your God will prosper you abundantly in all the work of your hand, in the offspring of your body, and in the offspring of your cattle, and in the produce of your ground. For the Lord will again rejoice over you for good, just as he rejoiced over your fathers. If you obey the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes, which are written in this book of the law, if you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. For this commandment which I command you today is not too difficult for you, nor is it out of reach. It is not in heaven that you should say, Who will go up to heaven for us to get it for us and make us hear it that we may observe it? Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will cross the sea for us? to get it for us and make us hear it, that we may observe it. But the word is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart, so that you may observe it. What is this word? Well, Romans 10 tells us the answer. It's the word of faith that's being preached. That if you confess with your heart the Lord Jesus and believe or sorry if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God is risen from the dead, you'll be saved. How near the word is? I have no doubt in my mind that this is not the first time all of you here are exposed to the word of God, but now certainly we know that all of us are definitely without excuse, for we have seen through the word of God how God the Father, how God the Son, how God the Holy Spirit, how God in three persons has made himself near to the Israelites, how he's near to us today, how he's left us this helper, this comforter, to convict us of sin, to remind us of the words of Christ, to sanctify us, to convict us of sin. So we are utterly without excuse in our complaints that God may be far off. And now we see that the word of God itself is very near to us. So what can we do now? But draw near to God, but to reciprocate all that he has done. His hand has been stretched out. But who can draw near? That is the question. Who may abide in your tent? Who may dwell on your holy hill? Psalm 15 says, He who walks with integrity and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Psalm 24. He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood and has not sworn deceitfully? Who can abide? Who can ascend? See, we have to pause here in this consideration of drawing near to God. So that we're not deluded into thinking that we're simply considering an interaction between one man and another man. We're speaking of the interaction between man with a holy, eternal God who dwells in inapproachable light, in whom there is no darkness at all. He hates the things that are natural to men. If you look to the Proverbs, and just to make a note of those things that are specifically mentioned as abominations to him, the word tells us that those things are wickedness, the way of wickedness, the sacrifice of the wicked, the perverted heart, lying lips, evil plans, the proud heart, injustice, the prayer of the lawless. The eyes of the Lord are too pure to approve evil and he cannot look on wickedness with favor. You see, the problem, apart from Christ, our iniquities have made a separation between us and our God. Our sins have hidden his face from us. So if we're not in Christ, our sins are a thick wall, a black garment, a dense fog, keeping us from God so that he cannot look upon you. So the question is, how can you, which scripture specifically mentions as being nothing more than a mere breath, a phantom, a vapor. How can you, which Scripture regards as dust, draw near to a righteous, eternal God? And the answer is that we can't. We cannot draw near to God, because that is exactly what we are. We're just dust, and He is holy. And what Scripture exhorts us to do Isaiah 1.16, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from my sight, cease to do evil, learn to do good. That's what the Lord requires of you. So you see how utterly, completely ridiculous it is to think that there's ever anything we could do in order to draw near to God, even though he's extended himself to us? There's nothing to do because there's nothing left to do. We don't pause here at a point of despair, but at a point of glorious provision through Christ, that he's done everything already for us. The only thing is that we would seek his face, that we would cry out to him, that the righteousness of Christ might be credited to us. That the forgiveness of past sin would be ours based on Christ's sacrifice. That we would have freedom from continued sin. That we would have, just as God requires of us, clean hands and a pure heart. That's what James chapter 4 says. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your heart, you double-minded. That we would get real about sin. What does Isaiah 52 say? Depart, depart, go out from there. Touch nothing unclean. Go out from the midst of her. Purify yourselves. And what's the reply to these things? Second Corinthians 6, And I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you. How much do we know of this nearness of God, I think, is so muddled Because of our delusion, not regarding the existence of God, but regarding the abomination of sin in the sight of a holy God. Brethren, let us seek the Lord. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Psalm 32, 6. The Lord is so gracious. He is so ready to forgive. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon you. Psalm 86, 5. You today who feel that the Lord is far off, let me ask you, do you call upon him? Do you seek the Lord? What has he said to us in Psalm 145, verse 18? The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. So if the Lord is not near you tonight, it is not because the Lord is far off of himself. It's not because he's waiting for you to be righteous of yourself. You can cleanse your hands yourself. You can purify your heart. You can't cease to do evil. But the reason that Christ is far off from you is because you do not seek him. You may say, oh, I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to seek the Lord. Let your cry be simply that of Psalm 69, 18. Oh, draw near to my soul and redeem it. Ransom me. Pour out your heart before God, the word tells us. God is a refuge for us. Scripture is full of such great encouragement. I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to me and heard my cry. Psalm 40 verse 1. Do you know of this? Do you know of this nearness Those who diligently seek me will find me proverbs 8:17 Bertrand Russell is quoted as as having said in response to the question what will you say if indeed there's a god and you appear before him one day and Russell's remark was something to the effect that I will ask god sir Why is it that you took such pains to hide yourself? Well, one thing I promise you, that is the heart of a man who never cried out to God, ever. God does not hide himself from those who cry out to him. May the Lord guide us to have the heart of the psalmist in Psalm 27, When the Lord said to David, Seek my face. The reply of David's heart was, Your face, O Lord, I shall seek. How blessed is the one whom you choose and bring near to you. Psalm 65, 4. Do you know this nearness? Do you know that God is for you? Psalm 56, verse 9. Are you convinced of it, that the nearness of God is your good and that those who are far from him will perish? Do you cling to him, cling to obey him, cling to love him? Is there anything else in this world you desire? As we've read in Psalm 64, I'm sorry, Psalm 73, Whom have I in heaven? But you, and beside you, I desire nothing on earth. My f- heart, my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you will perish. You have destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, The nearness of God is my good. May the Lord give us strength to draw near to him. May the Lord keep those here tonight who are outside of Christ, who have not entered into the blood of Christ, away from the delusion that perhaps one day, after they've enjoyed their life apart from Christ and all his worry, that they can at death's door simply change their minds. Well, I can tell you firsthand that I've seen enough death to realize that it is far more common that the mind is muddled or intoxicated by medication and confused with pain too much to even know one's own name, let alone to recognize the state of their soul. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. He may not be near tomorrow."